Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast, where we listen into a group of rural firefighters as they give their opinions on the challenges they face both on and off the fireground. We release a new episode every week, so please hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this with your fire family and friends. Now on to this week's episode, where as always, we ask the question, are you DTFF? <laughs> Hello and welcome to oh, we the Zero Five Fire Podcast. My name is Carl, and we are actually starting, Scott. <laughs> I don't have my book. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm in adult. danger. <laughs> I have Ash. Hello. I have Tom. Hello. And I have Scott. Hey. And we're actually rolling, Scott. Uh, actually, like right now. Um, yeah, Ash, you got some news for us? Yeah, so, um... Oh, you really had news? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Apparently they're the only two. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading about FA. <laughs> Which is a shocker in itself. It is, yeah. <laughs> right. um, so this was actually brought to my attention uh, by my lady's cousin uh, from Salt Lake City. So a 13-year-old son of a Wyoming fire chief is requesting memorabilia from fire departments to decorate his hospital room as he awaits a heart transplant. Bryson Quinney, um, who has a uh, condition called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Yeah. Um, He's awaiting (coughs) a uh, transplant. He's a fire chief's son. Um, Yeah, he's put a call out, just wants to decorate his room. With uh, patches, stickers, decals, decals for all of our our listeners. Um, we shared earlier on in the week uh, the news story that's been cycling the internet about it. There's a GoFundMe page if you are so inclined to hop on that. If you have some, some gear that you wanted to donate to the family, uh, there's a, a link on that as well to send it to... What I believe is the uh, Forever Young Room at the Primary Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City. Um, so yeah, hop on that. Uh, we hope for uh, a solid outcome there and a speedy recovery for uh, young Bryson. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, and I think you can find more. We because we posted that up. We did, I think yeah. last week. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you want more details on that as well, you can just uh, check out a uh, Facebook page. Yeah. And the article is on there. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll also link it in the description of the episode podcast Absolutely. when we drop it too. So yeah. Great, great course. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're actually going to talk about this week in training, um, where there was some bits and pieces with below grade fires and attacks. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, who would like to start? Well, look at me, I was in there. <laughs> yeah. So that that was uh, myself and Rob um, did a below grade fire attack practice. We're doing two. Um, like we always talk about, we split our groups up. Uh, this this month we have split up into two larger groups, um, which helps us facilitate uh, uh, Scott's practice, which he'll discuss a bit later. And being a below grade, it takes a lot more manpower to initiate that kind of a fire attack as well. So we walked through the importance of the 
360, like on every steam. Uh, knowing your points of egress anytime that you're going below grave is really important. Uh, knowing, we talked about sending a firefighter first. So rather than having, and in our case here, which actually might turn out to be the captain, um, but definitely sending somebody ahead of the nozzleman uh, so they can sound, sound the floor, um, making sure that the uh, path that you're on is uh, sound and safe. Uh, the last thing you want to do when you're going downstairs, going anywhere really, is having the nozzleman drop, and now you got nobody on the nozzle. The nozzle. <laughs> <laughs> That's your lifeline, right? So even if uh, if the person going down first does have an incident, you're holding the tool that can start saving them. Uh, you can suppress fire around them. You can do. Uh, yeah, I mean, losing that lifeline is terrible. Um, so we really hit on that. Uh, and then we've talked about it before, uh, and we practice it again, <coughs> the bump-up method. So um, like every attack team, you have your nozzle and your backup, your door control. Uh, we have a captain uh, or a truck officer that goes in with them. Uh, so you, you have X amount of people generally on this attack. You'll, you'll have either the captain or a firefighter with the tools. So it'll be um, axe, halogen, but for sure a thermal camera. Uh, so that was your initial team. So you would move into the building, start, uh, we had a, our burn building, which I shared a photo of the other day there. So we start on the upper level to simulate ground floor, pushed in, there's a stairwell. Once you hit a pinch point, you call for a bump up. So you need some extra man, manpower. So at every pinch point, you would get an extra person coming in, which uh, can stretch your uh, resources pretty thin. But uh, yeah, it worked out really well. Just to be clear as well, <clears throat> pinch point would be any corner, mm -hmm. any any corner that you're going through um, that you would then need to help need help basically at that point, help in moving hose mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, especially with aggressive fire attacks, you need to move that stuff fairly quickly. So mm -hmm. having that. Uh, extra pair of hands to shift that line around those corners mm -hmm. really helps. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have the hand and bodies, it's not like you can't do the attack. It just makes it way harder because you got to the the backup person has to keep going back and forth to try to keep pulling hose, and then yeah. you know, it's just it's, it's just it's easier doing that bump up, mm -hmm. bringing somebody in to help with the pinch point. Yeah, <clears throat> right. And I think going back to the the way we're attacking those both up or above and below grade. Is, is setting that person up first or down first. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we're looking at, I know you and I were looking at some different options and there's, there isn't a lot of um, agencies doing that method from what I understand. I don't know what you guys are doing. But, um, yeah, I know we haven't, we haven't really practiced a lot of that. Um, we have discussed it the odd time, right. but again, because we don't have a, a facility to practice right. a lot in, we do go through our host tower. Uh, we try and do a minimum three man team. Right. Um, and we'll break off at the landings and kind of do the same method, right. but we're not calling it specifically how you guys are they bump up, which I, I do like your form of communication for that mm -hmm. matter. It's a lot more clear and precise on what you need to be doing right. at that time. Yeah. Yeah. It really lends itself to good comms, which we as a service, not our department, we as a service suck at. I mean, comms is always the first thing that drops out. So the best thing that you can do is... Um, work on bettering your uh, comms and that can be over the radio or from person to person so on our first cycle through um, Rob went in and I was on the outside um, sort of as a IC 
and I could hear the radio chatter, which was really, really, really clear. Um, but what you could also hear from the outside of the can is each member saying what they're doing, where they are, and what they're about to do. And it's not just, okay, we're at the landing, and everybody hears them and they're happy about it. It's, okay, we're at the landing, okay, we're at the landing, at the landing, and it just keeps bumping itself back back yeah, up the yeah. chain, right? Yeah. So um, not only do you say it, you wait for a response. I mean, that just comes back to any sort of comms over, over the radio, on, on the firegrounds. Anything that you say, you wait for a response, and they repeat that back to you. So that you're crystal clear that they heard exactly what, what was said, and they understand it prior to repeating that back up the ladder of the chain, right? Yeah, it's extremely important, mm-hmm. um, especially... Well, in, in any internal mm-hmm. uh, internal attack, by far. Yeah. Um, but always, is there's so much going on. It's so loud. You never really know what's going on anywhere on the yeah. fire ground. A lot of the time, it's really difficult, especially when you start getting inside and it's dark and the smoke and everything else. My biggest pet peeve is when there's no no talking mm-hmm. going on as you got that attack team going in. Yeah. Like, you always see that in the new guys, right? They're so focused and so worried about missing something in the training, yeah. and they're focused on just pushing in and staying close to the wall or whatever their, their task is. They're not communicating against each other. Mm-hmm. And you get some seasoned guys in there, and the communication is nonstop. That's right. Unless we keep telling these guys, keep talking to each other. You want, I want that guy behind me talking just as much as I am, so I can visually picture what he's feeling and looking at, mm-hmm. as is he should be what I'm finding in front of me. So there's no surprises. Yeah. You know, just being verbal, not being on the radio. Um, there's some, something to be said about not being on the radio constantly. Like, I know we take the radio in with us, but mm-hmm. um, if you can stay off the radio and just do everything mm-hmm. like person to person, you know, if, if if you're 20 feet away or 10 feet away mm-hmm. up the stairs, I can call to you without having to hit a button, tying up the whole net, telling that's right, telling you what I'm doing because you probably see what I'm doing anyways. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that that verbal, that's great. It's probably is. I'd say be more important than, yeah. than radio. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and like on the radio, the guys weren't at every single step. They weren't, you know, relaying that over the radios. It was when they got to okay, we've made entrance, which you always want to hear. Uh, we've accessed the basement, perfect. Um, we've isolated the room, perfect, and we found a victim. So important parts, but it was the stuff that was happening between that, which is really good, and the fact that. We had a really successful burn that it was very, very dark. Uh, guys were saying the moment that they stepped in the upstairs door, <laughs> yeah, it was Kevin like was saying he couldn't see his hand. Black. <laughs> yeah, he was like outside, light up, like it was light from our scene lights and everything. A step or two in, and he couldn't see his hand in front of his face. It was pitch black. So as you're searching, you're going downstairs, deeper in, you can't see anything. It's hot, it's smoky. Hearing people around you is comforting like it makes you feel that you're not alone right like yeah i've got my team we're all here we're doing something and the guys were like full of chatter um like not chatter i shouldn't say that they were they were full of really good comms it was great um and they worked really really smooth first team the way that we kind of did it was we sent our first team in and they were all uh the more experienced crew so i don't want to say the a team but, like, these are the guys that have been through it before. And let the secondary guys be the bump-up guy, Or, sorry, the uh, the secondary guys that are going to be the bump-up guys, the additional support, they were our, our newer guys. So they could hear and witness what was about to happen. And then we, f- we flipped it and put all the experienced 
as the support role and put all the new guys in. And we did notice there was some drops and comms and, you know, a, a, a struggle or two along the way. But you started to see, so there's the brand new guys and then the newer guys that have been around for a while. They were, and on the second one, I was the one that went in with them. And I wasn't adding any support to them. I was just observing on the second role because we had so, so many people. And about half, halfway through when the radios dropped, um, I said, I'll, I'll be your comms for just so the IC knows. So I, I radio to Rob. I'm like, Rob Ash, we've got radio issues. I'm, I'll, I'll step in. I want you guys now to do all of the verbal still yourself. And all I will do is once we've hit every major check, checkpoint, I'll, I, I can reel that out. The movement was still flawless. The guys did great. Um, the newer guys with a little bit more experience still really stepped up, helped, gave some, some coaching. Cause again, some of our newer guys, they've been around now for coming up on a year, I guess, but they haven't really had, like we've, we've had purposeful trainings with fire. We've had live fire. They've had actual truck, you know, structure fire calls, but they, they haven't been in on that sort of like a blacked out event. And uh, he's like, man, that was game changing to be able to simulate something like that. And, well, I think below grades is the worst, mm-hmm. worst thing we can do. It's yeah, right, sorry, worst, the most dangerous thing. One of the most dangerous things, things for yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah I, I liked how we do it now because back in the day it used to be, well, what a lot of the manual still says, you send uh, you send the nozzle operator down with a backup person right behind him. Like, mm-hmm. that's the butts. You take three steps down, and you fall. Both of you guys fall through the hole in the floor. I don't say that in the manual, but yeah, <laughs> you know, you're sat on the floor. <clears throat> somehow you're holding onto a nozzle and an axe while you're sat on the floor. Mm-hmm. And next thing, what has happened and what does occur is the whole crew falls through the hole. Um, yeah. So the way we're doing it now, um, you know, send send one guy down on the landing first, mm-hmm. or down down to the next landing. Sat on the floor the whole way. He has a thermal camera with him. If he falls in, he's got protection. Yeah, he's got a team behind him. Yeah, literally this, the thing that's going to protect him is the guy above him spraying water. Let's also touch on, um, because obviously that's nice the butts thing, and we have discussed it before, but it's important to go over the, the reasoning behind what we do now. Yeah. So what do we do now? Basically, it's exactly opposite of nuts to butts. We, you know, we go back six, seven feet. Um, mm-hmm. So the nozzle operator is first. The backup person's six or seven feet back. Um, what we try to gauge is there's a loop in the line and it's dragging on the ground, but six or seven feet's about what we're looking for, maybe yeah. a little farther. Um, cause you might not be able to see him cause you know, I probably couldn't be able to see him in that heavy smoke, but you could feel him cause he's holding on, you're holding on the hose. He's holding on the hose. Um, you don't need to be right next to them cause if you're right behind them and you're trying to drag the same amount of hose, you're not really helping that nozzle operator. You're actually hindering them cause you're starting to, he's got a, specific task and if you're right behind him you're going to be moving the hose for him when he doesn't want to move mm-hmm. um so get back a bit and it prevents exactly what i just talked about if the nozzle operator falls in the falls in the hole the backup person's not going in after him mm-hmm. sorry not falling in after him yeah he'll go in and rescue him <laughs> yeah what we really <coughs> on, if you go back in our department and in the majority of departments that I shouldn't say the majority. A lot of departments they haven't um, looked at this uh, sort of an attack model. The nozzleman is the busiest guy. He's got the nozzle, tools, maybe a thermal camera. Like there's the Paul Coombs or whatever photo or art artwork of like 
the guy's got everything and the kitchen sink and this this guy's oh, the, old, going the, old, in. the older method like the older method yeah. yeah right so like they got everything with them and they're going in and they're sounding floors they got the thermal they've they've got the nozzle so they're trying to like do everything and the backup guys i just got this hose directly <coughs> behind you like kind of useless now we've spread that out so there's a guy his entire job is to make sure that the pathway is safe the backup guy is doing most of the hose movement work the workload for moving hose is on that backup guy the nozzleman is just the hero you're the guy with the real tool that's going to put the fire out and that is your only job i mean there's other things there but your main focus is being able to spray water where you want to spray it when you want to spray it as soon as you remove like strip down the rest of the stuff around them your task is free to actually fight the fire rather than be weighed down with all this extra shit it was a big change for mm -hmm. us when we did that and uh the the noticeable difference was it was just instant you know like you're not going you're not carrying the tool you don't have to try and figure out the tick with you know, because when you're, you're, you're trying to hold the hose under one arm, like a little cat or something, you know, like you're trying to hold yeah. on to this thing. And then you're like, you got the, the irons and it's, it was ridiculous for a while. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Way too much going on. Yeah, way too much. Because even the tools now, if we know there's no basement, the tools probably going to stay at the door. Because mm -hmm. we don't, you know, how often do you actually need tools when you're doing our uh, inside of inside of room? Like you can sound the floor with your foot as you're, as you're going along. Because um, you're dragging all these tools with you again. You can't do all the other jobs that you need to do. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times we just leave the tools with the third person at the door, the door control person. And if the tools are needed, again, just like the bump up, tools needed, we can set up the chain to the guys that need them. Like if you had to breach a door for some reason, yeah. you know, most residential, once you're inside, not a whole lot of doors you got to breach. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you run into some stairs, yeah, you're probably going to need an act or something brought up to sound the floor. But again, you can sound the floor pretty hard with, like I can stamp my foot pretty hard. And I could feel like if it's soft or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and again, if you, know, you do now, we've got the way the teams are operating anyway. Um, you've got the, the tick is going to be on that first guy yeah. when it's going to be on the captain normally in these yeah. situations. And the captain yeah, can, right? can take an axe with them or absolutely well, right. So now we're sending that person, and we've got the yeah. other set of eyes. And you'll see if the floor is mm -hmm. looking like it's you know a little bit yeah. defunct. You'll you'll figure that on the on the tick fairly quickly. Yeah. There's actually something interesting I saw um, about thermal cameras and how uh, with carpeting and stuff you don't see the um actually there's a high probability you won't actually see if the floor is burnt through oh, really? no but uh the, it was that guy that were kind of uh, what's his name andy stairs yeah yeah um one of the oh. suggestions he's a he's a tick guy yeah. um <laughs> one of the things they suggested is actually uh hosing the floor down oh and then if you see it starting to pool like with kids and it starts gathering into a pool that means there's a sag in the floor and you can see this you can see the pooling on the tick yeah because you'll see the difference the, mm -hmm. so that's going to give you oh why is that floor sagging yeah and that's going to give you that warning or potentially the early warning mm. because yeah he was showing actually uh and they have like super good thermal cameras and there was no change on the floor on a lot of different floors like on the carpeting and stuff like that huh yeah and then with the new insulation and stuff yeah i guess and they said that this the picture that they were showing was actually from a, a floor that was burnt through in the bottom the newer i-beams um, it was totally gone and it was just sitting there sagging. So when they sprayed the water, it pooled, and they were like, oh, yeah, we can see it sagging. Mm -hmm. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good, that's a good mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, part of that, too, as well, is that learning the hose movement techniques yourself as mm -hmm. the nozzle operator. 
moving forward, doing the slides, making sure yeah. you're leaning backwards, not forwards, front mm -hmm. leg in front of you, you know, like you pitch your arm like we do. If you want to know what we're talking about, check out the videos that we did that Scott was showing you how to, to do uh, hose movements for inch and a half. It's a really, really good, uh, really good little set of tricks there for moving through and, and really shifting that hose fast, but safely and being able to flow when you go. So um, check that out for sure. But it is really important knowing how to do that stuff and being able to stay on the floor with your foot as you mm -hmm. move and, you know, having that extra, that extra feel and touch for making sure you're not going down. That being said, once you're in the basement, it's a whole different kettle of fish, right? Because everything, as soon as you open that door... <laughs> Yes, it is. I'm all about casting fish today. Okay? Mm. A whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. Never heard that term? I've heard that term. Actually, what does that term mean? Is it, uh, I'm assuming it's British. It, it sounds... It has uh, to be. sounds British. Huh. Yeah. You ever heard that term before? I've heard the term, but I actually never thought what, mm. like, where it came from. I don't know. <clears throat> oh, come on. <laughs> You're the same age as me. <laughs> you haven't heard of that? No, I've heard of that, but what does it, it, it mean? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you ever heard it. I've definitely heard of the term, yeah. or the phrase, but it's, I don't know what it means. It's different. Yeah. Right. Why, why is it fish? There you go. Yeah. I don't know. Is it good? Uh, I bet you know, he would know. know. The bar boys. They, they live in the ocean. They might know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it blows, blows my mind. Kettle of clams? Isn't a kettle like what you make your tea? Absolutely. Well, that's what you boil your so, water so in. So what are you putting? Do you put fish in it? Fish in the tea pot. That's weird. Uh, I don't know. It's got to be a... Wherever you're from. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds British. Definitely sounds British because it's completely confusing and no one knows what bloody hell it's What were we talking about? Oh yeah, once you get to the basement. Yeah. It's a whole different kettle of fish down there. We were talking earlier about why the podcast takes so damn long. <laughs> yep. But uh, once you get downstairs, you obviously you've, you've dealt with the stairs going down. Yeah. Now you can start getting in the other mm -hmm. stuff. The problem now obviously is that as soon as you've opened that top door which is why door control in these instances is even more important. As soon as you open that top door, all that fire is running to you. Mm -hmm. And you've got to do it chimney. quick. It is a, yeah. It's the yeah. best chimney. And you're getting blasted with it and you're going down through it. And the problem is it's been going down there for a while in some of these instances that the heat has gone way, way higher. And you have to go down through that thermal layer before mm -hmm. you can get down below. So you get some of the hottest temperatures doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, in reality, what you're trying to do before you even start trying to go downstairs is obviously we'd be looking mm -hmm. for exterior exit doors, um, mm -hmm. windows, that yeah. sort of stuff. To and that hopefully do some and that transition. has really changed. I think from back in the day too. Before it was no plow through, get in there and go yeah. do it. Now it's like, well, what are we trying to save? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, like we've got our our <coughs> you know our assessment models dialed in way better now yeah. you know we can do that uh, scene size and see if it's really mm -hmm. worth putting anybody at risk to save anything or is it just nothing left? well and i think that's what we talked about specifically in this yeah and the, the training was we were gonna we were specifically putting a, a patient down those stairs mm -hmm. and telling the guy that they have to go get somebody because yeah in reality why are we going down there yeah mm -hmm. like if it's a room and contents fire yeah we probably make, make it make a push down put it out mm -hmm. but if it's basement's fully involved we're not probably gonna go down there we're gonna Mm -hmm. I mean, you can drive a piercing all the way through the floor, probably, <laughs> and do it like do it that way, or throw yeah. side window. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we dusted off our old um, uh, <coughs> cellar nozzle the other day. We're talking, we're talking about nozzles and stuff, and mm -hmm. and uh, I asked the new guy, said, "Okay, how many of you guys have seen our our cellar nozzle?" And everybody looks at me, and it's dead silence in the room. I said, "Okay, you're gonna go find it afterwards." <laughs> and it was really fun watching them flip through all the covers of the trucks trying to find the thing. Yeah. But five of them looked at this, looked directly at it, and closed the door. But uh, 
Nice. Yeah. It's, but again, that, that's an old tool mm-hmm. that we used to use back in the day mm-hmm. that I honestly think, I don't know the last time we actually hooked it up to even use it. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think even in, uh, even in a few of the, the videos and bits and pieces, I think the really old ones we were, that we've shown in training scenarios times for those kinds of things, they were saying, just cut a hole in the wall. If you can get to it, you know, at least yeah. a portion of it, you, mm-hmm. even if you can dig down for a section, if you've got time, whatever, you can dig a hole and then just cut a hole in the wall to I mean, give you some more vent. I mean, most most basements have some window somewhere. Yeah. Mm. Um, like other than like a root filler, like most basements mm. will have some sort of some window, whether it's small or it's got a window well. Mm. There's, you know, you just have to do a little different attack. Yep. Which actually takes us to how how did you make a how did you make a below grade window? So yeah, so we uh, as you've seen photos of. R1 burn building there it's all above above ground so we did a couple things to simulate below grade so I just screwed some plywood and made a smaller size window in behind our like metal flap so they open the window and they look at it ah son of a bitch this thing's half the size it's higher and it's higher so I put the opening higher up on the wall to simulate a basement window and then, to Which make matters yeah. a little bit different, so we've still got an ex- exterior team with a hose line ready to go. So if there's any sort of uh, fire suppression from the outside, if they have to do something, that's great. But we brought our um, deck truck over there, put it next to the building, and grabbed a couple um, wooden pallets and made a uh, window box. <laughs> so they, they couldn't just... So basically, they're standing, the, yeah, they're standing on the level. Yeah, huh. so they're standing on the level, aiming down into the fire. So, like, you you could, if we did this without the truck there, you could just look and see where the fire was and spray at it. Well, now you're aiming down without... So ricocheting off the floor instead of the ceiling. Yeah, without <laughs> putting your head upside down and into the hole, you can't hit the fire. So all you're doing is a steam kill at that point, right? Which is great if you got door control and blah, 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 you're still going to make it a bad day for your people but if they got door control eh, okay it's it's an option but for the guys on the outside to hydraulically vent because i mean they're down there and now they got to take care of the fire but they now they really can't see shit and it's just got really hot because they're spraying some water on it well it's tough to hydraulically vent when there's a wall behind the window so they had to think a little differently and move really close to the window and go super super steep angle and it worked like a hot Hot damn. Huh. Yeah. So we just kind of threw that together last minute. Was thinking, ah, oh, how, how can we do this? Oh, the high end. The, oh, we got some, some pallets here. We'll just make a, a little window box. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah, it worked out really well. We got... Uh, you got we, lots of video of this, right? Tons. <laughs> <laughs> what? Where's it work? What? <laughs> it's your job. <laughs> That's busy teaching. <laughs> I'll let you off. Thanks, buddy. No, change my mind. No. <laughs> you are still, not still a <laughs> Um That sounds awesome, though. Mm-hmm. That sounds what a great idea. Um, yeah. So, and I'm sure everyone was happy that oh, I've got used as well. Which is the next rock. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, some important things about obviously all of these, um, all of these steps before we move on to the, the prison side of things with this. Mm-hmm. Um, just to recap is obviously communication, obviously in any key in any search mm-hmm. is always key. 
Um, and then, you know, with that communication, talking out loud, mm-hmm. kind of even helps you go through your process, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're kind of going through your, your documented list of moves as you're going through. If you voice it, everyone knows what stage you're at because you're all trained the same way. So in turn, they should know where you are mm-hmm. and uh, what they should be doing next in their line. Mm-hmm. Um, signing the floor, the way we're doing it now is we're sending the guys in first yep. with a tick, with the tools, check the floor, and then the guys are going in behind them with the nozzles, etc., and, and moving in. And then obviously the bumping up techniques of anytime you get to a pinch point, you're coming to a corner, you need to be able to shift that hose if you have the manpower and it's safe to do so, you say bump up and that goes all the way down the chain, out the door, and then the next available set of hands comes in. Mm-hmm. Door guy does not go in. Door guy is door guy, because we mm-hmm. think initially there we were going to start moving the door guy in, and then we obviously realized, huh, door yeah. guy knows who's inside. The door all, the information. Information. <laughs> right, all the information, yeah. and we're not sending him into the building yeah. <laughs> with the information. Mm-hmm. He's just, yeah. So yeah. we changed that, and which is good, and it was very quickly picked up on. Um, and now, obviously, you've got that bump up, and you're moving more and more people through to help at those pinch points with that moving the movement of the hose and, and getting to where you need to get to, to the seat of fire. And, and when it came like. to the rescue, so we talked about for this last practice, it was going to be a life over limb rescue. It wasn't going to be a big drawn out, uh, let's do this, this, this to the patient. It's, hey, they're in a shitty spot. If they stay here, they're going to die, which is generally <clears> what's <throat> going to be the case in a basement fire anyway. It's going to be really hot and shitty. Life over limb, it's a grab, grab and go. There was one, two, three, four, five, six people inside the structure, if you include the door guy. And we called for another two to meet at the landing. And the rescue went like that. It was super smooth. Again, comms was spot on. Everybody came out. Like, it was hot. They were sweating. But... We actually joked. They're like, I'm not tired. All of that. And they came out. They're like, I'm actually not tired. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like, you guys didn't work hard. You worked smooth. So when you have the manpower and you can work together, uh, working smooth, you don't burn off as much energy. Worked really well. Really well. Awesome. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That, that comes down to like the comms and when you're calling for those bump ups, like mm-hmm. that instant commander has to know where those guys are, where that team is mm-hmm. from the first floor, where they're on that landing. So that, again, comms, it's huge. Yeah. And I know for us, like you said, you had six guys in there, then you called for another team to meet. Like when we were doing our sims on our, in our tower, uh, that was the same thing. As soon as our first uh, team of three found a victim, mm-hmm. they're calling for backup right away and it gets really tight in mm-hmm. the stairwell. Yep. But, you have to have that handoff and move guys around because there's so much. You're, there's hose in the way. There's guys in the way. And if you just try and, nope, I'm hanging on to this part of the body and you're carrying somebody down, it's not going to work. You, no. you got to hand off and, yeah. and keep that flowing and have another team at the door ready mm-hmm. to help out with that door frame we found. Yeah. And yeah, sixes, that's mm. the. One really important thing that we didn't bring up just, just now, but we really hammered on it. So on a regular structure fire, the initial attack team can go inside if they can assemble rid, like the second truck is close behind them, by standard, you cannot go below grade unless rit is already established. So you have to have a rit team ready to rock. And again, we we know what our area is. We know what our response time is. Um, for below grade. For below grade, yeah. Um, 
So for us to go below grade, I mean, you're going to be in there, you'll be doing an interior structure fight. Now, if you're going to be going down those those stairs, going going into a below grade situation, NFPA calls, you got to have writ established outside already. So first truck's doing that now. If, if, we know, if we know we're rolling up on a basement fire, are we then saying first truck? Is going to start establishing RIT and we're going to get some attack going initially. I don't know if you don't have guys. Yeah. You probably have to do the exterior water application. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like a transitional. Mm-hmm. So that's the importance of your three. I mean, every scene, your 360 is key, but a below grade fire, um, knowing where, where the fire is, what's happening early. Um, I mean, we could say that for any scene, really. Mm. But super, super important to get that information out early. Yeah, because um, that's going to change your setup on the outside. It's going to change manpower. Yeah, I'd say if it was uh, below grade, but no rescue was necessarily required, you could park a guy at the top of the stairs. You park mm-hmm. the nozzle operator and a backup person at the top of the stairs, making sure that um, fire's not coming up the stairs. Yep. To get get the rest of the structure. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. have to make a push down later. Yeah, if you're not sending yeah. manpower down, <clears throat> you can go in and yeah. actively fight. You know. Right away. So once you're sending the manpower down, it's key to have help. Yeah. Because it's going to take, you know, we talk about one guy down takes whatever it was, 12 firefighters. Absolutely, yeah. Think about that in a below grade situation. It's going to take a lot of manpower to get one or two, hopefully none, mm-hmm. <laughs> out. So, yeah. It's another really good, good point on the communication side there as well, right? Mm-hmm. Rit are obviously listening to that too. So when you've got RIT and they're doing their job and they're wandering around and they're checking and they're making sure and they're finding more entry and exit points and they're doing those things, mm-hmm. if they can hear you as well, even better. Yeah. Because as we all know, fire ground is noisy. Noisy. So the more people that are shouting these things, the more times <clears throat> you hear it, more yeah. echo turns mm-hmm. into a voice and you get the message. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a wicked practice. It's not fun. Will it's there be another there. one? There's a pretty good chance there's going to be one. Maybe we'll Thursday. record that one. Maybe. <laughs> <coughs> you should come. I might. I might. <laughs> I uh, <coughs> I just recently had knee surgery, so I haven't been around for a lot of it recently. Mm-hmm. So, But it's to the point now where I can do stuff again. So mm-hmm. happy days. And that was Very thanks happy. to Scott. He caused it. He was the one who broke it. my surgery? I'm not a surgeon. Yeah. No, you were the one who broke <laughs> it. Then. I did not. <laughs> you stood up in jujitsu class. Yeah. yeah. This is big Carl's big injury. You were there. Oh. Okay, here's the big Standing injury. Up. Carl was Carl just did something. It was a choke defense. <laughs> he stands up, stands up. Oh my knee! <laughs> that was it. That was it. <laughs> there's a speak. You were there. <laughs> your fault. Um, it sound like you're taking a lot of ownership. Zero. Absolutely zero. No ownership of your crappy knee. <laughs> Yeah, there's a book you can read. <laughs> um, uh, extreme deflection. <laughs> by Carl. I might write that. Um, yeah. So, the other practice. Speaking of people who have no ownership. <laughs> went to the prison. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of on our heels of our uh, of our oh, fire we had at the correctional facility a couple weeks ago, um, we decided that we were, well, actually, we had decided this before the fire, and then 
of course, the fire happened and reiterated the point that we shouldn't go do some more training at the at the local prison. So, um, set it up with the warden. One thing about training at a prison that's not as easy as just, hey, we're here to train. There's a fair number of things you got to do. Um, so, yeah, uh, had a sign sheet, had to do all the checks and balances. Everybody had to you know, make sure they're coming, called like 20 different people, um, <clears throat> let us in. Uh, beforehand, we actually went over, we kind of have the um, satellite map that we could look at and pointed out a few things where, uh, you know, hydrants are different areas of places where kitchens are and wood shops and that sort of stuff. Um, but we were mainly concentrating on if there's a fire in the actual uh, unit where the cells are. Um, it was also a good chance for us to practice standpipes again. Because, you know, small rural area, not a whole lot of standpipes. You know, I think we, we're getting more and more every day, but, you know, I think we're probably up to about 10, 10 places in town that have standpipes, whether they're uh, dry or, or wet. <coughs> so this is a good chance for the uh, new guys to see at least how uh, what's, what equipment we bring with us to standpipe and how they work. So we, um, one thing about the prison, we can't take... I mean, the truck just can't drive up and we don't just open the door and there we are. It's like where we park, we have to bring everything with us that we need to fight and then get inside and find the, find the location. So yeah, we, uh, I laid out the stuff we need to bring in with us. Um, brought in, I think nine of us went in there that day. So went in, um, had a unit all to ourselves. It was totally empty. It's good. Um, probably, what is it? 50, 40, 50 cells in there? So a unit, a unit, sorry, is yeah. actually just that it's kind of the area where all the cells are, right? Yeah, so I want to say it's 40 or 50 cells. I, don't, I didn't really count, but um, a fair number of cells. So it was empty because it, it, that facility isn't quite full yet. So we had a pretty, you know, pretty sweet deal with that because uh, that's something that I don't think many people are ever going to get to do, that kind of training. But it's important yeah. for us to do it. So, and there's also like things like... When do we open? What doors can we open? What doors can we leave open? Um, where we were walking down, I look over at one point and uh, we're walking by one of the other units that is not empty. <laughs> and they see us go by, and next thing they're all yelling, Ah, there's a fire! It's, it's a... The prisoners are kind of worried. <laughs> the guard's like, No, no, they're just training. So, get there, talked about the standpipe, uh, set it up. We didn't actually float any water, we just didn't want to make the unit. Like, we don't want to get anything wet in, wet in there, even though it's all concrete, of course. Um, so, pretty quick, talked about that, how to set up, how to hook up. Um, but then I was like, well, you know, there's not a whole lot we can train on, like, putting on a cell fire. It's just like putting on a small bedroom fire, right? But one thing I realized pretty quick, I was like, oh, wait a minute, there's, there's basically 50 rooms here we can search. So, it's it's a really good search. It's big. It's basically a giant search building. Yeah. So we did the orientated search in which we, um, basically the same thing we did for the school. Um, same thing we do for houses now. We'll send a, a nozzle, nozzle team down, or like the team down the center of the hallway. And then, uh, we have the nozzle operator, have the captain. And then as we go, we'll have a couple searchers. And, uh, what happens is they check the door for heat, just do everything like regular, pop the door you're going to check real quick with the thermal camera by the captain doesn't see anything they still going to send the searcher in so they send one searcher in i mean if it's a big room we'd send two these cells are pretty small so we send one searcher in while they're going inside to do that search we go to the next cell send the next searcher in 
So there's basically two people searching while, while the nozzle operator is waiting, and they're they're like the safe, safety point. So they're waiting with the nozzle ready to go, and then uh, the captain's deciding where they go next. And then what we just what we figured really early when we started this kind of new type of search method we follow is we definitely it's a it's a very quick search rather than taking the whole hose in, going in, searching each room. That's very long. This is very quick because the person that's going in doesn't have any tool. Like that, sorry, they don't have any hose with them. They just go in uh, left or right hand search and they search the whole room by themselves real quick, come back out real quick but thorough. And they come back out and find the hose right away, find the captain and carry on. Obviously, if something happened and they don't come back out within, you know, 30 seconds or something, the captain goes and takes another look. Hey, man, what's going on? You all right? Yeah. Just got, you know, stuck here or something. So they can, it's not like we've, we've lost track of them. We know where they all are. We don't go any farther until everybody's back in line. But what we did find was it's hard to constantly search. So you can't always have the same people searching. So the nozzle operator actually spells people off. So after, you know, every one or two cells or every one or two rooms, if you're doing a room, uh, a house search, that um, the nozzle operator becomes a searcher and the person that was just searching jumps on the nozzle and rests because their job is basically just to sit in that nozzle and, and watch for fire coming in the hallway. So it was really good because we got to do, like we'd have to do a whole a whole tier. So if I'm, I'm going to say 20 cells. Jeez. And the guys are just bang, 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 bang. Hey, quick. Really yeah. impressive. Well, probably took us 15, 10, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Yeah. And it was a thorough search. Like, and of course there, a cell has a bunk bed. Right. So it's like a kid's room. So they have to do the bottom, they have to do the top. I kept reminding them not to put their hand in the toilet. <laughs> There's also a toilet in there. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we actually had one of the one of our guys in there as a patient. So the search, the search. He was kind of being a little bit of a, a jerk to them because he actually went on the next tier up and parked himself at the last cell. So it took them a little bit longer and they had to go up the stairs. And yeah, But it's quick. Yeah. It was definitely interesting because it was... Uh, if it was just us doing a cell fire, the practice would be over in five minutes. But this really reiterated the point. Because the other thing is, I got them to kill the lights in that unit. And when the lights are dead in a prison unit, it's, it's like dark yeah, in there. Dark, yeah. It's very dark in there. <laughs> and, we, and then we even got them to spin their balaclavas backwards, so it was even more dark. So the only person that we had that was not blacked out was the captain, because they were using the thermal camera. Right. So they had to use their communication. So again, another communication uh, drill. So they were the only ones they could see. They had the thermal camera. So they had to use the thermal camera and tell and direct the people that were searching where they're going. Yeah. <laughs> I think another uh, another really good point about um, the way we're doing the training now with the captains being more involved with those things mm -hmm. is super important because it used to be, again, and I think we've discussed this prior, um, it, it, the captains were more overseers for the majority of training, and now they're they're key points. They're they're key yep. people inside doing things that need to get done, and freeing up the other guys to do what they need to do and get the job done. Right. So it's it's eyes on, um, and a, another set that's just looking around for for more things that could potentially be going wrong around them while they're concentrating a hundred percent, you know, as best you can, whilst you're still being. Um, you know, mindful of what's going on around you um, and everywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good. It's a really, really good way of doing it. And it seems like, you know, with everyone getting involved like that and we can see what each of the roles are doing and what they're doing, the captains are getting um, 
I don't want to say more competent. I want to say uh, happier with being involved for sure. Because again, you know, when you've got when you've got hard firefighters that then become captains, and now it's like, well, now I don't get to get on the nozzle. Now I don't get to do any of the work. Yeah. Well, now putting them back in the mix is definitely something which I know is is beneficial for everyone. So yeah, yeah, it's quality. Yeah, like I said before, I think captainship used to be where firefighters went to die. <laughs> you used to be like, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm a captain now. I can't do anything. No, we're we're working. It's a working captain mm-hmm. position. And when the shit hits the fan <coughs> inside of a building or whatever, in years past, the captain was on the outside. They were they were not involved. They weren't in there with him. I mean, we don't want to have the captain being a. Huh, I mean, with some of these practices, they are a pivotal part of it. <clears throat> but if something goes sideways, they are another set of hands. I mean, they still need to be able to use those comms to get the information out. But if it's a rescue, if it's a recovery, if it's something, I mean, they're there and probably the most fresh. So, I mean, if it was a firefighter down, if it was a rescue, I mean, jump in there and utilize one of the freshest people on the inside. That can now jump in. They should be breathing less. They, you know, they're they're not breathing as hard because they're not working as hard going in. They have the most air left. They can still, as things are happening, they can oversee and still be very very useful. Um, I love it. It's, yeah, it keeps it things wicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been good. It's been good. Uh, yeah. So that is our two trainings for this week. And then they'll rotate again um, for next week. So the people that were on the one will go to the two and vice Mm. versa. And now we're going to move on (coughs) a little bit. Just over to um, touching back a little bit on a discussion that we had had last week with Dr. Nick Sparrow uh, about mass casualty incidents. Um, There's been some debate, some talks in between the guys and... uh, we figured we may as well just do it on a microphone in the room and have that conversation a little bit further too. So I, I, it's not specifically uh, like mass casual incidents we can deal with. It's it's the specifically the act of lethal threat slash active shooter, or yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We've just been talking. Um, what you've been reading. <laughs> so go ahead, Todd. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, like Scott said, it's, it kind of goes hand in hand. It's starting conversations in your own department and with your other agencies as far as MCI goes if you have uh, limited resources, uh, that's key. Uh, the next level to that is what we've been talking about is if we do have an event, specifically active shooter or active threat, um, you know, what are you gonna do? Because we don't have the teams or the tactical medics in our areas, how they go in with traditional SWAT teams or emergency response teams. Our police around here, their emergency response teams are gonna take a while to arrive with their designated uh, medics on their teams. So we need to start having those conversations, which we've been having and trying to figure out what we can do in our area to mitigate that response and be there and work in that warm zone. Because our ambulance resources are limited. We're not, as medics, not going into warm zones. We're gonna be staying there staged until it's safe and people brought to us. Uh, So what can we do in that warm zone? And I've just been reading through a couple of um, looks like SOPs and some other departments where they've made up their own um, appendices for a rescue task force 
And so, of course, we had our discussions about the NFPA standard, the NFPA 3000 for um, their active shooter and rescue task force, rescue task force yeah. stuff. Um, so I guess, yeah, just now from what I'm reading here on some of these other ones, it looks like it's the same as before. There's the hot zones. It's strictly law enforcement. Yeah, hot zones, basically, you're in a gunfight. Exactly. <laughs> Warm zones are where um, we need to be thinking about uh, as a fire service. So warm zones going to be specifically the area of operations where uh the hostile threat to pers- the persons uh is not immediate and it's basically your casualty collection <coughs> point. It's all going to be in the warm zone so that's where we're going to be going in triaging delegating and dragging out to a casualty collection area right yeah so so i guess a big how, uh, how can we do that yeah because a big debate right now is um some of the standards most of the standards are saying well, if you're in the warm zone, you got to have a certain level of protection. Right. So you have to have a three, level three body armor, which is rifles. Yeah. Um, and so it's not soft body armor. It's, it's like actually like hard plates. Um, and then also, I believe, a helmet, same level of helmet. Um, that's the standard of most large cities from what we can see and the standard that NFPA is pro- proposing. However, as we talked about, in a small rural area. Um, first of all, the chances of one of these things happening, very, very slim. But we've had two in our area in the last, you know, two years. We've mm-hmm. had two. We've had one up north and one a little less up north. Yeah. So we've had two um, active shooter incidents, which people forget because in the end it turned out to be only, you know, one or only four people getting shot and only, you know, one or two people getting shot. Um, but people forget these things. And the other thing is, how many times are schools on lockdown? Mm-hmm. Constantly. <coughs> Most of the time, it, it doesn't mean like nothing's happened. But they are on lockdown quite often. Um, so we need to come up with something to train. Whether it's, you know, once a year, once every few years. Uh, but we knew, we knew we need to work with the local law enforcement. Because it's not us going in you know, half, <laughs> half cocked. No, exactly. And like you said, like how can we how can we safely create some SOGs in our areas where we don't have these huge budget budgets to create the teams and the training? Because that, that that's huge money. Like you said, yeah. just the body armor and the training alone and is huge. Um so I think if like we've discussed, if if we can create some discussions with our <coughs> law enforcement and the ambulance and create our own policies and guidelines to work safely in those warm zones and just be really dialed into our triage systems and how we're going to establish that and start pooling resources. Because like I said, we have the manpower to start moving bodies pretty quickly. Whereas the ambulance, you're going to have one ambulance there, another one 30 minutes away, and then another one maybe another 20 minutes after that for our area. It's going to take a while. Well, really, the ambulance should never get tired. I, I used to think, oh, the ambulance, they should come in with us. But no, I'm like, actually, no. Because they, they need they that. They need to do they, the treatment. Yeah, they need that... Um, that take a step back, look around, make a call. That Jocko thing, they need to do that, the ambulance, because yeah. they're the ones that know what they're doing with medical, higher than we do. So we are the grunts that pull them out and be like, here you go, fix this person. Yeah. We'll go get another one for you. Mm-hmm. Or triage this person. So, um, yeah, I'm totally all for the and the paramedics staying out and setting up their areas, their casual correction points. And then we go in and, and deal with it. Well, we go in and, and doing casual, casual evacuation. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I think, I think if we focus on the Kazivak stuff and 
really train and practice with the smart triage because the smart triage system is designed to be very simple and effective. Yeah. Like you've got a very small set parameter of things you're looking <coughs> for for respiration rate, you know, pulse rate, etc. And that's it. You know, it's either it's either it's black or white. It's 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 above this number, you're a red. Below this number, you're a yellow or a green, etc. So anybody can train to do that. You don't need to be a very savvy paramedic to do it. You know, that salty paramedics can do it very quickly and easily. But if we get that knowledge going and work with these guys, you know, that's where we can be really bringing these, um, just that, that, that level of training and that speed. Even Nick had mentioned, actually, that, you know, you just, you know, it's the card, right? You just get the card, you print yeah. it off, you can get them, tuck them in your gear pocket somewhere. And... I mean, one thing, if there's one, gonna, if you can get any good thing out of an active shooter, is the injury is going to be the same. It's not going to be like a bus accident where you could have like a, okay, that person's got a penetrating chest injury from something that, like a piece of rebar or something. That person's got a you know, head injury. That person's got this. I don't even know. The injury, yeah, the injury. The like, going to be very similar. Severe, I mean, severe they or minor, yeah. right? And it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, uh, uh, you're a red, potentially going to block. Yeah. Or it's going to be something treatable. You can slap a, a chest seal and tourniquet on and away you go, right? Mm. Um, there won't be a lot of them. Yeah, I don't know. It's you know, and I know one thing we were talking is uh, is there a way to make um, like with hazmat? There is awareness level, mm -hmm. there is operational level, and there's technician level. Because we were talking in our area, there's only one real, there's only one true hazmat truck, and it's an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. So every structure fire we go to, if you look at the definition of a hazmat call, it's a hazmat call. We're dealing with hazmat every structure fire. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's in there. There's chemicals burning. There's all sorts of weird things coming out of the structure. We're dealing with a hazmat call every structure fire. Mm -hmm. We all have awareness level. There may be a few that have operational level. Yeah. But we don't have all this fancy gear. That's right. Um, so we are dealing with hazmat calls. Same thing is if one of these shootings happens. If the person's down and the police go, yeah, no, we got him. He's down. Okay. Well, is it still technically a warm zone? Because could, could he have planted explosive devices? Yeah, you get a plant explosive devices, but body armor is not going to protect you anyways from, mm -hmm. from an explosive. Um, so what are we going to wait for the bomb squad to come and tell them they make it green? I don't know. Yeah, um, you can't though. I mean, that's yeah, Sandy exactly. Hook and all these other schools. They've realized they've realized that you can't delay. You got to get in there and move. Yeah. And that's why actually reading through some of this um, SOGs and some other departments, um, you know, they even say like once it, the threat is deemed stopped, um, you know, you can still expand your your warm zone and the teams are in place and starting to do some medical, but your head is on the swivels. Your situational yeah. awareness is is the first step. You know, always looking for IDs and other threats, mm -hmm. and you're with earshot of law enforcement. Still. Yeah, you're not just by yourself. Right, you still got the law enforcement running point. Yeah. Like I still like the fact that uh, like law enforcement, you know, two guys in the two law enforcement in the front, two in the rear, because they still have that that Kevlar shielding for you. And if something starts turning sideways, you just find you go find cover somewhere or get out of there as fast as you can. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of these NFPA things are written for large cities, mm -hmm. and they, uh, I noticed I know a lot of stuff's for, forgotten in the rural settings. But really, if you like, a lot of these shootings happen in rural settings. Um, you know, in Canada, we've had a few shootings in rural settings, yep. and mm -hmm. it's better to be prepared. Maybe it never happens, but all the skills that we prepare, what we'd be doing anyways, are all transferable. Um, like communication, uh, working with the police, um, working in teams, working on our medical skills. We're not wasting a practice on doing a doing a mask or doing an active shooter scenario. 
we're still doing a bunch of skills that are firefighter and paramedic related skills. Right. We're just doing them with this now in mind for that yeah. night, for that particular practice. Yeah, you're still practicing your unifying command, like you said, <coughs> and yeah. that states in these SOGs, that's that's the first step. Like you're still working with all the other agencies doing that. But like I said, it's it, there's nothing different other than just that one event. Yeah. So we're all still working together the same way. We still have all of our other um, policies, but we need to be thinking outside the box a little bit here, how we can deploy that help quickly, because that's the biggest thing that's faulted in all these other uh, big events uh, where they've learned from now, and now they're making these, because yeah. they've made huge mistakes. They've delayed that, that care, and so many people have passed away. Yeah. And like I said last time, the police are... Police are way ahead of the game on it now because they, they automatically will go in, deal with the shooter. They don't wait anymore for the SWAT team to come. They go in, at least they're, they're supposed to. They, they should be going in, dealing with the shooter. Usually the shooter, there's a couple things they're going to do. Usually, usually the shooter's going to, when they're confronted with the police, they're either going to shoot it out with the police and get taken out. They're going to end their own life or they're going to uh, give up. Um, sometimes they flee. So there's, but all those, all those four things that it's named, it all results in the threat stopping and us, and it now it could be technically deemed a cold zone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's still very borderline warm because, again, you don't know um, about these bombs. Even if it's still a warm zone, yeah. like it, it's very clear that, you know, these uh, the teams can still have that casualty collection point in that warm zone yeah. and begin the smart triage system. Right. And then whether paramedics don't want to come to that warm zone, fine, then we will... Now do that, like I said, the Kazivak from there yeah. out to that cold zone or to that border and then pass it off. Which is, and that leads us to our only debate, how much gear do you need to sit in the warm zone? Yeah. Do you need a body armor? I would argue if it's a warm zone where the police have said, these are the da 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 da, -da you know, the person's out, the person's down, we have him cuffed. Um, we believe he's only one person. I believe you could probably articulate, no, we're safe enough, we can go in. If the police are like, we have him barricaded down, barricaded down the hallway, He's threatening to shoot more people. That'd be like, oh, well, I'm, that might be one of those times where you're mm -hmm. like, okay, it's still an active warm zone. We can maybe go in another part of the area and look yeah. for patients, but we're definitely not going down that hallway because that's getting in the hot zone. Mm -hmm. But again, right, that comes back to everything we do, back to our uniform yeah. command and communication, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, and like you were saying there as well, <coughs> the, uh, the fact that it's not a waste of practice, this whole thing, and regardless of whether or not it's active shooter or, you know, active threat, um, we, we've talked about the mass casualty side of things and even just getting used to the tarps, getting used to the process. Police doesn't even necessarily need to police in, in this instance. We're obviously using them for this, but if you just remove them for one second and you, you put, say it's a gas leak and you've got guys going in with SCBA right outside the door now mm -hmm. and we're pulling patients and then we've got this warm zone, it's the yeah. same thing. It could be the same for an ammonia leak. Perfect example. Because now we've got guys with BA going in. In this instance, they mm -hmm. would be the police. They're there. They're dealing with the actual threat. And then we're yeah. grabbing people. We're getting them out. We're moving them into that warm zone where our guys are still maybe mm -hmm. wearing BA because they want to make sure they're safe. They're then triaging the patients, getting it back out to the medical mm -hmm. people further away downwind. It's the mm -hmm. same process. Yep. It's yeah. just a different response due to the fact that somebody's got a gun or a knife or X, Y, Z. And it, you know, it, it, it's still, it's very, very valuable to learn what we're going to do when there's multiple people that are hurt in a situation, regardless. There's two reactions that you get when I, when I bring a backup shooter to, to people like that, which that, you know, a fire service that I want to train. 
It's like they either like why why are we trading that? That never happens. Like what are you some kind of <laughs> some kind of crazy person? Like this never happens here. Like why would we train that? Um, well, we should train it. Like I said last time, it's like mm-hmm. the schools train it all the time. Mm-hmm. They train for that eventuality. <clears throat> so we should be yeah. training for the eventuality to fix a person. And I brought it up once. Uh, said if well, actually when I think I was teaching to stop the bleed to our guys. These guys are kind of, at first they were kind of like, why are we learning this? I said, well, first of all, it's not just about shootings. It's about traffic accidents, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But if there was a shooting at the school, how many of us have kids? Right. And that's, that is a big difference also between mm-hmm. a lot of volunteer departments. We're all from the community. So mm-hmm. kids are in the schools and most of us aren't going to be sitting by going, oh, I'll just wait for, see where the responders are. Wait a minute, where are the responders? Oh, we're not trained for this. We don't know what we're doing. Or we could train once a year, once every two years on it. Uh-huh. Get dialed in a little, at least a little bit, have a plan to go for it. So, yeah. Any other, you know, thing is like, yeah, perfect. We should train it. That's the other thing I hear from people. So, about time we're training it. That's what I hear. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> or about time we're thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Have the process. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to be a, yeah. an every month thing, but definitely. Yeah. yeah like, <clears throat> I don't want to say there's nights where we, ways to practice because everything that we do there's no sit around and drink beer practice everything we do has a reason and it could be it it could be a cleanup after a large event that's still useful that's not a wasted night but that wouldn't be a wasted night like this is something that you can dedicate a night or so to and get really good results um if you take away the active shooter and what if it was an explosion Right now, it's still the same thing. Like, it's still a warm zone. Yeah. Who knows what they planted. Yeah. Is it, like, is it cold now because one explosion's done? Like, who knows what else is in there? What can we go and do is, you know, like, and what is that, you know, level four gear going to do for you in an explosion? Yeah. I think we talked earlier. It's actually going to hurt you more than help you, probably. Yeah, a lot of times if you're wearing a helmet and you get that overpressure and yeah. does more damage. So all the gear in the world doesn't help you there, and that's just as likely. I mean, there could be a big event up at our auditorium. Something can happen there. Are we going to go in? I think we would. Yeah, it's it's just it's just expanding our mindset and how we're thinking yeah. about this stuff. It's it's emergency preparedness one on one. Like every year, emergency preparedness week comes around, and we all talk about the basic stuff: the wildfire, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, mm-hmm. etc. Right. So why aren't we talking about this? Yeah. Like there, there's no difference. It's preparing for that event, that one-off when it happens. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really good point. When that does come back around this year, we should have a station for Stop the Bleed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Beginning of May. Yeah. Beginning of May. That's our yeah. seminars. No, it's, 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 it's right after your weekend. It's that weekend. Oh, right. oh perfect. We'll be all rested up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do a yeah, big roll-up or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we'll i got it written on my board, but it's coming up fast. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's this tonight wasn't about like let's figure out a solution. More or let's start a discussion. Have people on the mm-hmm. you know, discussion. Going, listen. Yeah, that's all. That's what we need to start with. Yeah, because you know, rural areas they need to think about this stuff. If you guys have something in your area that you've already talked about, I'd love to hear it. Reach out, send us a message. Especially us... the smaller communities. Yeah, we all know like the rescue task force, like in BC, like Vancouver Fire. They're rocking it. They're, it's going. Other areas. Abbotsford. Yeah, Abbotsford um, police are doing it. I mean, down, down the states, they got, you know, I think Texas, basically mm-hmm. the entire, all the big cities in Texas do it. Um, 
California. Well, the teachers are packing in Texas. That's true. <laughs> but we're 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 slightly different here too in in BC because with our well for our area, our rural area, our police force is federal. Mm. So they have such strict policies on what they can right. do and what they don't do, and, and they're a closed little circle. So for us to create a policy, a local policy for our towns, it's going to be really hard for them to to yeah. integrate with us. Because we'll even know to call us out. <laughs> yeah, and, but that's why we need to have these conversations to say, like... I'm always on fire. When am I going to fire on fire? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, start the conversation. And like you said, Ash, if... If other smaller areas have it, send the info our way. I'd love to read about it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's a new, it's a new era we're in, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. you know, I like, I liken it to uh, when elevators first came in. Probably no one trained elevator rescue because they thought, ah, this is a fad. <laughs> Never, no need to train this. And now <laughs> you probably should train it. <laughs> you have lots of elevators in your area. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, I think that's about it, boys. Unless you got anything else. Yeah, that okay. was a lot of dread info, I think. It was. Well, at least we think it is. Well, that's why I said I think. <laughs> oh, I still haven't looked up Kettle of Fish. There you go. <laughs> uh, Sounds like a dating app. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, wasn't it? It was plenty. Oh, plenty of fish. Yeah. Plenty of kettle of fish. I wouldn't plenty know. of kettles of fish. Like loads of them. What would you do with a kettle? Anyway, maybe a kettle is like a term of measurement. I wonder if it was like a term of measurement, like oh, I got like a, I got a kettle of fish, like oh, like a it's um, like a pound. It's like the whole kettle. Yeah, quarter kettle of fish. Yeah, kind of like what was it? What was the other one? The uh, <laughs> the, the alcohol one. It's like a buttload. Yeah, a buttload. A buttload. On a boat. It's actually a, a, it's number, a term of measurement. It's actually a measurement. Yeah, yeah. Like a buttload was a certain amount of liters of liquor. Yeah, like the butt. Mm. There you go. Oh. Huh. And we're doing it again. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Kettle of fish from the UK. Yeah, Talk about yourself. Then I'm really, really, I'm gonna, <laughs> I do more research on this than I did on anything else. So. Uh, those <laughs> over there, they start everything. <laughs> we do tend to. Yeah. We do tend to. <laughs> finish it as well, Tom. Um, finish it as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike this podcast. <laughs> Modus. Modus. <laughs> Uh, every week we talk about Modus. They've been uh, really good to us. Uh, we've been testing their snagger tools, their uh, force entry wedges, their mini spanners, um, some other items that we uh, aren't at liberty yet to discuss, but uh, they have made it into service for our department. Uh, so that's awesome. Um, if you want to check them out, hop on any of their socials on their website, and they have extended to you our our great listeners a discount code of dtff5 is going to get you five percent off of any purchase of your modus gear apparel and such um yeah so check those guys out yeah modus scott not cut the fish or is he what or is he oh or is he master pretty good <laughs> we're still not sure if they, they stop the coronavirus or not but mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't think so no but i don't well, I, think I, don't it might. I don't know it might i mean it's yeah. filtered I'm not willing to test. No, I'm not going to go test. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, RZ masks. uh, DTFF gives you the discount code of 30%. Look them up. We've talked about them a lot. Mm -hmm. Todd, stop the bleed. Stop the bleed. Uh, We talked about it a lot. Um, (coughs) Yeah, carry tourniquets on person. Learned uh, wound packing. Uh, Massive hemorrhage control. It's uh, very important. It's the one thing that, uh, or the major um preventable death so there's uh 
bleeding out. So learn about it. Um, Stopthebleed.org, right? Yeah. 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 We change it. .org. We change yeah. it. Cause yeah. I don't, we couldn't remember if they changed it or we made a mistake and we were given the lo uh, instructor login one. But yeah. Apologize for any of the confusion. Yeah. But uh, yeah, learn about it. Um, if you want to become an instructor, uh, you can go on it and then tell you about when to get trained up on it and be one. And think outside the box. Have fun with the training. Stick to their content. And just get uh, a lot of high fidelity sims mixed into with it, and it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, cool. Get messy. Yeah. <coughs> uh, Sierra. Yeah, Ignition USA. Um, there's their soft entry tool. So, um, for all those calls where you don't want to leave the home unsecurable once you leave, uh, medical calls, things like that. Uh, developed in Seattle. It's the Seattle Rapid Access Tool. Um, really cool product. I think it's like six or seven in one. Um, we've shared some info on it. Uh, we are going to be uh, demoing a unit coming up here, which we're really excited about. Um, hop on their social medias, um, ignitionusa.us, I believe is their website. And um, DTFF. 2020 is going to get you 20% off. Uh, so check them out. Um, Ignition USA. Uh, we have Matt's calls. Um, Matt has a calls which is called Second Alarm. And you can find out more about that on secondalarm.org. Uh, they're constantly trying to get more firefighters or more potential firefighters to understand and hear about all the fun things we get to do as firefighters. Uh, the more the more this gets out there, the more it helps. Obviously, get more and more people back into the halls. We understand that there are a large majority of people that are still going through the fact that they cannot find people to sit on their trucks. Um, so, this is going to be an, another big help to that. So, go check them out. Secondalarm.org. And then I think we have the Legion. Todd, LegionEngineer.com. Uh, Joel Struthers. Got a uh, great website there, <clears throat> buy a whole bunch of different apparel, um, a whole bunch of swag there, and a portion of uh, those proceeds go to PTSD awareness, which is uh, very important. Uh, we're learning more and more about PTSD, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's got some cool swag. We've been rocking the hats. Still waiting for our stickers. Yeah. Not sure what's going on there. Sort of the bar boys. They <laughs> <laughs> brought it up. Yeah. On their podcast, they're yeah, waiting yeah. for our stickers. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But uh, yeah, uh, Joel, uh, Joel Struthers, uh, he also has a book, Capel, a Canadian in the French Foreign Legion. Which I just got last week. Nice. I just been sick, so I haven't really been reading. You've just been getting everyone else sick as well. Yeah, it actually makes me feel better when I get everybody else sick. It worked. Yeah. It's like passing it on. That's how diseases work, isn't it? <laughs> you like lose it, yeah. you give it to someone else. There you go. Sure. Shedding <laughs> away. Mm. Uh, yeah, so Legion Engineered, and Bar. Bar was like uh, Scott just mentioned, um, Brotherhood Academy Radio Podcast, um, Eastern U.S., uh, Salty Seaboard Firefighters, really good group of guys, um, they're doing really similar things that, that we do here, uh, pretty aggressive firefighters, um, just talking about leadership, training tips and tactics and such, um, yeah. Like I say, we've uh, been chatting with them for quite a while now. 
bounce a lot of ideas back and forth. They just have a really cool relationship built built up. Uh, they gave a shit because we were supposed to send them out decals a while ago. Didn't. So then we sent the decals instead. The decals got shipped instead. Um, so, yeah, we just have to fix it. We're idiots. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, check those guys out. Let's go. Sonar. Kettle of fish. Kettle of fish. Mm. What is it? Did you find it's it? It's a big saucepan for poaching fishing. There you go. From the English. There you go. Yeah. So I guess a different kettle of fish. You A totally different like one. poaching yeah. them? Like no, not, not poaching. Like, they're not poaching like shooting fish. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, like <laughs> like boiling them. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know the English way of cooking. <laughs> Boil it until it's rubbery and tasteless. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what the kettle of fish is. Seminar. Seminar. <laughs> May first, second, and third. No kettles of fish there. Um, no. still working on lots of different options for sessions. Uh, definitely going to have at least four live fire sessions. Um, actually, some uh, high fidelity sims, as Todd says. Hopefully, we're going to get some actors and things like that. Um, MVI stuff. ROX. Yeah, yeah ROX. Uh, some stabilization. Interesting little scenario, um, thing we're coming up with that. Mm. That's, uh, it's, what are we going to call it? Un- odd Un- odd stabilization? Yeah. Unconventional stabilization. So, um, unconventional things that need to be stabilized. So, like, cement walls that fall over, um, tractors. Like, mm. uh, you know, tractors are, are very weird because there's, you know, there's only, like, a few points on them. And if you move the wrong point, potential for falling over. We've had a yeah. couple of those back in the day, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the other one? Uh, oh, uh, large, like, cylinders of things. Like, mm. how do you stabilize these things? How do you move them? How do you shift them off patients? Um, we're going to have some rope stuff. Um, low angle rescue. And there's some water in there. Mm. So, yeah, it'll be, it's going to be a good time. Firepalooza. Mm. Yeah. It's going to be one hell of a weekend. I know we've got a bunch of listeners that are already reaching out to us, telling us they've already booked tickets for their hotels and planes and yeah. trains and automobiles awesome. and all the other fun sure. stuff. So it's going to be great to have, uh, have people up. Um, I just want to say, for people that are listening in BC, because uh, we get this question a lot, um, for this seminar, you know, you do not need any, um, certs. So you do not need like interior, exterior. Um, you basically are under our umbrella. Um, our, our people are whoever or whoever's teaching is going to be, um, taking you through. So yeah, if you want to go into the live, the burn building, we're taking you in the burn building, um, safely. SCBA, everything is going to be, you know, you do have to understand, obviously you, you have to understand how to don and off gear and how to don and off SCBA. That's basically where you need to be, what level you need to be at. Um, and then we'll make sure you're safe from there. Yeah. We'll not put you in a, in a place where you're, you're in any real danger, but live fire is always somewhat dangerous, but mm-hmm. yeah. Also fun. So come. Yeah. And then we have us. We do stuff and things on places in different areas, uh, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and, uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn now. Yeah, I've got the business page up. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so if you do listen in and you do hear us and you think that we're doing a fairly good job, just drop us a like, drop us a little comment. Something there definitely helps us get in front of more people. Um, and again, like we said before, the more people we get in front of, um, the more things we get to play with, the more things that we can tell you are good or bad or whatever in between. And 
and uh, yeah, all the other fun stuff. Plus the fact that there's people out there that don't get to, they don't get to have these conversations. They get to have, you know, what they've been taught constantly um, from people here, there, and everywhere. And there's an old seed, right, Scott? Uh, I like to use the phrase that Pat McNamara uses, you're institutionally inbred. <laughs> <laughs> but, which many people are they're you know they're stuck in these institutes where that's the way we've always done it that's where we're always going to do it so, we've always done it that way yeah. change what yeah so don't be don't be institutionally inbred <laughs> you know in the world learn other things exactly <laughs> and listening to podcasts can definitely do that looking at the content mm-hmm. on our pages that we try and share we try and make it obviously useful for everyone um, and there's some really important stuff that gets talked about. Not necessarily that we're the people that make the most sense about talking about it, but we always talk about the things that work for us and situations that we've been in and the times that we've dealt with it. So, and the ways that we figured out how to fix it. So I think it stems conversation too. Even if what yeah. we're doing isn't what's going to work for you, it gets you thinking. Yeah. I, I think that's key. That's some stuff that I've heard come back from people like, Hey, like, that doesn't necessarily work for us. However, it got us talking and now we've implemented x perfect sounds great yeah so yeah just another different way of thinking about stuff um from a bunch of different opinions mm-hmm. and points of view and scott's got one more thing the worm has turned heard of that phrase what? yeah you know what that means yeah well i don't know what it means yeah it means even the meekest of animals will turn and attack eventually when pushed too far the worm, the worm has turned. turned yeah so even if you put if you push a worm too far eventually it'll attack you Oh, so it's when someone returns. I always thought it was about something. I thought it was something about tequila just, or something. Is it just worms? <laughs> or, well, that's what the include, phrase is. The worm is turning. maggots as well? Or yeah. Just no, worms? Just worms. Oh, okay. <laughs> and there we go, boys, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we are over. Uh, is there any more for any more? That is literally all I have. <laughs> Todd. Uh, I forgot to do a shout out to our boys last week. Uh, we did a really great stop on a uh, structure fire we responded to uh, wee hours in the morning with a very minimal crew as well. Um, and then the crew I mean, It's a mutual aid sitting right here. Yeah, hey, we called, we called. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had a, sec- a second call actually right at the same time as the structure fire. Uh, we we're lucky it was just room and contents fire. We got a knock on it pretty quick. And a wicked shout out to the um, majority of the guys on those two trucks because they're all very new members and they did great. Nice work. Very That's well. awesome. Nice work. It's always, uh, it's always a little bit terrifying that first time you go on a on an actual live stretch of fire call. Absolutely, you're fresh. You're Especially fresh, when fresh. we heard that address, we thought it was going to be rocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No quality. Good job, boys. When we heard you guys, so we got, um, we got dispatched for standby, yeah. uh, pretty early, uh, just because of what mm-hmm. it could have been, um, and then when you got the second call toned out, it's like, oh baby. Come on, we're coming. We're coming. We're coming. And then, uh, yeah, you guys managed to yeah. peel a couple of guys away and go and check out the second <coughs> alarm, which was just a direct alarm. Which sometimes direct alarms are rock and structure fires. Luckily, <clears> in your case, we were lucky at all points there. Um, yeah, our deputy chief was on scene in the command truck um, right away. We pulled up uh, pretty much seconds after him, and he called for you guys on standby immediately. Because mm-hmm. uh, we were thinking the worst in that particular building, um, and then yeah, then that that other call came out, and mm-hmm. the other guys that arrived at the hall uh, went in the rescue truck, and it worked out well. Quality, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah nice. good job, guys. Yeah, well played. Ash, thanks, guys. 
Todd. Thank you. Scott. Great. Stay safe. Stay in TFF.